Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni, and on this very special episode, we're going to be talking about the fifth intention and delusion set. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you are familiar with the framework of the intentions and delusions that makes up Zen Stoic philosophy. Now, Zen Stoic philosophy is a hybrid philosophy between Zen Buddhism and Stoicism that come together and create this framework of intentions and delusions. Now, both of these philosophies are amazing on their own and at the same time have gaps and blind spots within them where each of these philosophies come together and fill those in to create Zen Stoic philosophy, which is a cohesive philosophy that we use for the modern age. Now, in terms of talking about the intentions and delusions, before we go into the fifth intention and delusion, it's important that if you're new to this podcast that you understand what the intentions and delusions are. And if you've been listening, a review of the intentions and delusions will help them become more clear and solidified for you. So we'll get into it. But before we do, I'm going to share the story of how Zen Stoic philosophy came to be, because this is actually very important with the understanding of using a philosophy that is based on intentionality. Now, the whole idea of this intentionality is that you can do and say all the right things in the world. However, the one person that you cannot hide your intentions from are yourself. It's the one thing that even if you display or express your intentions as being a certain way, you cannot hide them from yourself and you are the one who ultimately has to live with the intentionality that you bring to every situation, to every decision, to every word that you speak because you're going to be the one who knows what the intention is. And being at peace with your own intentions is key to experiencing unshakable inner peace, which is what we talk about a lot on this podcast. Now that is because of self-acceptance. When we accept ourselves totally and completely, we cannot be shaken from within. So accepting yourself totally and completely will come down to, are you being intentional moment to moment? Are your intentions bringing you back to the direct experience of reality or are they pointing you to some concept or abstraction of reality? That's how we want to think about intentions and delusions. Intentions are a way of being in life that directs you to your direct experience. It focuses you on your direct experience of the present moment, the here and now, whereas delusions point you and focus you on an abstraction or a concept of reality, something that essentially we're making up in our minds. Now, there's nothing wrong with using our minds and envisioning a compelling future, but when we're living our life completely based on what we're creating in our heads at the expense of focusing on the present moment, that is when we start to put ourselves into delusion, where we're not actually living in reality, but we're living in some projection of reality in our minds. And the less and less present we become, the less and less peaceful we'll be because we're not actually here in the now. So this is how this philosophy and this framework came to be. So for me, a lot of my time I spent as a kid was trying to figure out how to come to be at peace within myself. See, when my mom passed away, this was a very devastating experience for me. And for those of you who have heard the story, right, this is where essentially everything began. It began uh, with the death of my mother. Because for me, the moment that that happened as a kid, I decided that the world was not safe, that the people that you love and everything that you love can be taken from you, no matter how good it is. And so for me, this really messed with me for a long time, right? I victimized myself consistently. And always telling myself that life isn't fair. Why did this happen to me? And ultimately, this 
type of lifestyle was not really working out well for me, right? This was creating a lot of emotional turmoil for myself. It was causing me not to be myself, to always be operating and acting from a wounded place and to be totally insecure with myself. And I was essentially a slave to my own emotions. I was a prisoner in my own mind with the story that I had of this victimization from my mom. So I decided to begin exploring and pursuing personal development to understand my emotions, to understand like what was that, what was actually going on in my head and how I could essentially move towards personal freedom within myself. Now, as I did this, I obsessed about it, right? I started with the book, The Four Agreements, and that was a book that absolutely changed my life. And it taught me how to stop beating myself up, how to actually treat myself kindly and use my words very intentionally in a way that actually allowed me to feel more at peace with myself. Now, as I was reading this book, I inevitably started talking about it with other people. And I didn't realize the level of obsession that I had with it where I actually started to build some skill with this. And I was actually able to help my friends with the knowledge that I was picking up from this book. So one of my friends, I ended up you know, helping and I helped him in such a profound way that I didn't expect to do so, but it opened up this whole world of coaching for me. And as soon as I went into that world, I really started to obsess with and pursue mastery in helping people change the way that they looked at themselves. So I started a career in coaching. I worked for one of the largest coaching companies in the world, and I was just working, 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 and pursuing this, this whole idea of helping people set themselves free from the prison of their own minds and their emotions. And as I was doing this, I remember I was working for one of the largest companies in the world uh, for coaching, and my dream job suddenly became a nightmare because I was overloaded with clients. There was a point in time where I was working with 95 people at a time and I couldn't hear myself think anymore. And so I decided to turn to Zen and Stoicism. I turned to Zen specifically for the internal peace that I expected to experience while meditating. And I turned to Stoicism because my clients had told me, one of my clients had told me that it helped him to essentially become more rational and use his reasoning more effectively in his self-talk in his mind. So I was like, okay, these things sound great. I don't want to be, you know, using the same material that I'm teaching every day to my clients. So let me use something different that's outside of that. So through Zen and Stoicism, I started this practice where every single day I would read a page of the Daily Stoic and then I'd meditate and do some Zazen meditation, which is seated meditation in Zen. And as I was doing this, inevitably, everything that I was learning, similar to like when I was learning the four agreements, started to trickle into my life and trickle into my coaching sessions with my clients. And a year later, after doing that every day, I ended up being ranked the number one coach out of 120 coaches based on customer feedback. So there was something there and I knew that Zen Stoic had to be shared with the world. And so at that point, I knew it was time for me to create something. So I started really pursuing Zen Stoic philosophy because it had helped me so much. It had helped my clients so much. And, you know, I'm working and doing everything I can to grow, finding as many opportunities as I can to essentially get ahead of things. And as I was doing this, um, around the same time, I had actually received an inheritance um, from my mom's passing. So I'd received it later in life based on, you know, how things were structured. And I'd received this inheritance and I was a young kid when this happened. I was like in my early 20s. And ultimately I had this intention, like, I'm going to be smart with this. I'm going to like make more money out of this. I'm going to really get ahead of everyone in my field. I'm going to hire the best coaches. I'm going to go to all the seminars. I'm going to go to all the, the different courses that I can do, do all the certifications. So I like, 
I would spend a bunch of money on coaches, on programs, on travel, on, and then on other things that would make me look successful, right? So I'd buy things that would essentially, you know, create prestige, right? Whether it was, you know, buying a nice car or like, I remember I bought this like private jet membership that like I thought I was all fancy and that people would think I was successful is ridiculous. <laughs> but you know, this was, you know, in my uh my young age trying to be a baller and all that and or at least look like one. And as I was doing this, you know, I'm I'm trying to create this image of myself that people will respect, right? Because I got into coaching at a really young age. And a lot of the time, the feedback that I would get or like the initial reaction that I would get as a young coach was hey, my business is older than you. Like, what are you going to teach me? Right? People would always comment on my age. Now, I had this obsession and this ability to help somebody change their life at a very young age. Like, I knew how to use these coaching skills, but the the package that it was presented in me being a, you know, a 23-year-old, 24-year-old kid doing life coaching uh, was pretty abrasive or it created some reactants in some of the people that I would coach. So I was trying to create this image of myself that I looked like I was really successful, that I was like really getting ahead. And so I would spend money on these things and like hire these really like high-end coaches that were way out of my scope for what I actually needed in that moment, but I didn't realize and I would just spend like an exorbitant amount of money trying to create and cultivate this image of somebody who is being successful instead of actually doing the work to be successful. So ultimately what ended up happening is I ended up squandering that inheritance. And for years I felt shameful. I felt stupid. I felt regretful. I, I felt really guilty for how I had you know, behaved. I felt angry at myself and I was holding all of this inside and it was just like eating me up in such a way. And I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to handle it. And so I was turning to the the resources that I've been working with, which was then stoicism. And so as I was turning to these things, I started to, to ask myself the question. I was like, I was like, what was the purpose of that? Cause like I had always heard of you know people winning the lottery and like losing it all. And I'm like, how in the fuck does somebody do that? <laughs> and then it was me that, that it happened in my life because I was trying to, to essentially buy wisdom. If that makes any sense, I was trying to buy the wisdom instead of actually living my life and experience that wisdom. So upon squandering this inheritance or squandering, I say it in quotes now because actually was that it ended up being one of the greatest gifts of my life to have that experience. But upon squandering the inheritance, I remember asking myself, I was like, what was the purpose of all of that? Like, what was that experience of life trying to teach me? And what emerged was this framework of the intentions and delusions. So what I had essentially done is I didn't squander this money. This was like me paying my tuition to the universe to teach me something that was incredibly profound that will show you the five subconscious filters that essentially run your life in a way that is behind the scenes at an even deeper level than your emotions. And it dictates the way that you make decisions and ultimately dictates the results that you experience in your life. So these are five subconscious filters that are operating all the time that I got to experience and learn by making these mistakes and paying my tuition to the universe to experience what I experienced. So one story that it reminds me of, and I think this is a really good way of looking at it, is the story of the prodigal son. Now, I'm not particularly religious. I wouldn't consider myself a Christian necessarily, but 
I find a lot of value in this parable. And specifically, the way that Guy Ritchie told it on Joe Rogan's podcast years ago. That's my favorite podcast episode of all time. If you haven't seen it, definitely go watch the Guy Ritchie interview with Joe Rogan. It is profound, the way that that man thinks. Huge fan of his films, and I'm an even bigger fan of who he is as a person and how he thinks about narrative and story and psychology and how it happens, you know, how, how things happen at the unconscious level. So he tells the story like this. So the prodigal son is a story where there's a father with an older son and a younger son. And the younger son wants his inheritance, right? He wants it now. And he wants to go out and see what life is all about. Whereas the older son would do everything that the father said. He would obey him and ultimately be a, a good boy. Like he'd be a good son. He would listen to his father. He would never talk back. Uh, he would never step outside of the lines. Whereas the younger son was this rebel, this kind of like ephemeral kind of you know, being where he just wanted to go out and see what the world was all about. Didn't want to hear it from people, but wanted to actually experience it. And so eventually the father decides, okay, so he gives him the inheritance and the younger son takes it and he runs off and he starts spending money. You know, he starts going and buying all kinds of fancy things, spending money on, you know, experiences, going to brothels, experiencing all of his fantasies and pleasures and just doing all kinds of things. And eventually he gets to the point where he starts to run out of his inheritance. And he runs out so much that he ends up needing to feed food to pigs as a job. And so he's feeding food to pigs and you know he can't really survive this way. He can't actually support himself. So word starts to get around that he wants to come back home. And so this gets back to his father and his father hears that he wants to come back home. So the father gets really excited and wants to prepare a feast and you know kill the fattened calf in, in, in the farm to prepare this feast for his son's return. And for the first time, his older son speaks up and he says, hold on a second. You know, my young, my younger brother, he's, he didn't, he never listened to you. And now he's, he went out, he spent all his inheritance. He did all these stupid things. And now you just want to take him back. Like, I don't like what, what's with that. And the father looked at his, his older son and he said, it's okay. You know, like it's, it's really about focusing on rejoicing for his return, right? He's coming back and it's, you know, it's okay that he did these things. Like this is how he learns. And the older son couldn't understand this. He couldn't accept this. And so in a sense, the older son essentially got pushed off to the side with his concerns that he was raising to his father. So the younger son comes back and he says, dad, will you take me back? And the father says, you were lost and now you're found. Now, we can have all kinds of opinions about this story in a literal sense, saying the father should have listened to the older brother. He shouldn't have taken back the son because of, you know, all the mistakes that he made, whatever our opinions are. But the essence of this narrative, the essence of this story is that you are the father. The younger son is that wild, rebellious part of you that wants to go out and see what the world is all about. The older son is your intellect. It's your ego. It's the one that wants to essentially, well, it's a part of your ego, I would say. It's, it's the part that wants to fit in and be accepted and do everything right. Whereas the younger one, it's that more rebellious nature that wants to go out and see what things are all about, not be told what things are about. And in the younger son's recklessness and sense of adventure, he was able to find value 
and respect in himself by losing everything that was not truly him. He was defining himself by this inheritance, by this wealth. And these things that he was losing were not his to begin with. And they did not define him. And so in his losing of things, in his recklessness, in his rebelliousness, in his mistakes, he was able to find himself because he shed everything that was not him. Now, the intellect cannot accept this. The intellect doesn't understand the significance of the journey and how things need to be learned, that we're not just going to learn by rationality and reason all the time, that life needs to be experienced in order for these learnings to come through. So when, when you think about this story, right, you're the father. You're enough. You've always been enough. That part of you that's the younger son, that's the part that needs to go out and experience it and make those mistakes. And the older, self, the, the older son in there is the part of you that doesn't want to accept those mistakes. But ultimately, you always come back to yourself, no matter how much you try to escape yourself. And so this story, listening to this story, transformed the way that I saw myself. Because I wasn't... Necess- my behavior wasn't necessarily like the younger son. It was more like I was trying to get ahead. I was trying to like make myself look like I was successful and perform to the world and do all of this stuff. I was trying to get ahead all this time. So I thought I was making smart decisions. And then little do I know, like everything dwindled down from these smart decisions or the, the attempt to do so. The point is, is that I wasn't doing any of that genuinely. What I was doing is I was trying to perform to the world. I was trying to get ahead. I was trying to do what was gratifying in that moment. I was resisting where I was at. I wasn't embracing. I would you know, be upset that I was so young <laughs> as a coach, right? I was arguing with reality. I was trying to control the perception. I was trying to control my situation by always throwing money at it. And ultimately, I was separating from myself, Right? I was separating from who I truly am and trying to define myself based on all these things and this, these statuses and these titles that I was getting for myself. So this is really important because the whole time I knew my intentions. I knew where I was actually truly at. And so this, when I asked myself, what was the purpose of all of that? The intentions and delusions framework emerged. So the intentions and delusions framework, there are originally four intentions and four delusions. And so I'm going to recap on what those are, and then we're going to get into the fifth intention, which was recently discovered. So the first intention and delusion set. Now keep in mind, these are all pair bonds, and they all relate to something different, a different aspect of life. So the first pair bond of intentions and delusions is embrace versus resistance. Embrace is to love what is. It is to embrace your reality is to practice what Frederick Nietzsche called amor fati, which is the love of fate to not simply bear your fate, you know, with gritting your teeth, but to actively love it. This is to have unconditional gratitude, not just for the things that you like, but also for the things that you don't prefer in life. And it is embracing what is it is embracing reality for what it is in this moment right here and right now, not wishing for it to be different and not wishing for you to be different. Whereas resistance, on the other hand, is arguing with reality. It's wishing for things to be different. It's wishing for yourself to be different. It's resisting your own emotions and feelings. It's resisting your own desires in life. So embrace and resistance has everything to do with one's outlook on life. Are you embracing, accepting, 
and truly living here in the now, embracing all of your emotions, embracing your desires, embracing your flaws, or are you wishing for it to be different? Or are you wishing reality to be different? If we embrace and we are able to accept ourselves, we start to create that self-acceptance that ultimately leads us to, into that inner peace. The second pair bond is understanding versus control. So understanding and control are very simply how we deal with circumstances and people. So when we think about understanding and control, if we boil it down to its simplest essence, understanding is asking questions, control is making conclusive statements. So when we ask a question, we are opening up our perspective, we are leading with curiosity, we are leading with an intention to learn something, to open up our perspective and our awareness just a little bit more. When we lead with control, we're going in with a conclusion already made about something and trying to use deductive reasoning and cherry-picking facts to serve our narrative, to serve what is familiar to us. So understanding is leading with that curiosity and having an intention to learn and open up that perspective, whereas control is trying to close it and make everything conform to the story that we have right now. So understanding, leading with that curiosity, brings that childlike curiosity, allows us to learn, allows us to garner wisdom through our path by being endlessly curious. You know, one of the things that Einstein would talk about is that his genius was that he was passionately curious. It wasn't just that he was smart, he was passionately curious. And when we have that passionate curiosity and we're always wanting to learn, that's what allows us to live here in the now because there is so much to learn. There's so much to experience in reality exactly as it is right now. The third intention and delusion set is discipline versus expediency. So discipline is the prioritization over of what is meaningful over what is gratifying. Expediency is the prioritization of what is gratifying over what is meaningful. So this has to do with our relationship to our emotions and what we do in response to emotions, how we express our emotions or how we channel our emotions. So discipline is my, so my favorite definition of discipline is from Mark Devine, who was a guest on our show, you know, a few months back and Mark Devine defined it in a really interesting way in his book, the unbeatable mind, which is that discipline is to be a disciple of something bigger than you. And I always thought that was really interesting because when you're a disciple of something bigger than you, you're a disciple to a purpose, to a calling, to a mission that is bigger than yourself. That doesn't just benefit you personally, but benefits others around you. That doesn't just benefit you right now, but benefits you in the long term and has the ability to grow. So discipline is focusing on what we personally find meaningful and bringing our action into doing what is meaningful, doing what is going to contribute to what is meaningful in our own lives. Expediency, on the other hand, is the attempt to bypass our emotions. So what discipline does with emotions is discipline channels our emotions. So let's say we feel angry about something or we feel really passionate about something that we don't prefer. Discipline is not just complaining about the problem. Discipline is like, how can I solve this problem? And discipline, the, the intention of discipline is how a lot of businesses are started because an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur will see a problem and they'll feel so passionate about it. They'll feel like anger about it. And rather than just complaining or shying away from it, they'll create a solution that doesn't just help them but it all, or doesn't just help their problem, but it also helps other people and not just in the now, but in the long term. So dis discipline is ultimately the intention that will start a business that somebody is passionate about solving a problem in the world. So that's where that comes from. Whereas on the other hand, expediency is the bypass of those emotions. It's feeling something bad over here or something that you don't want 
and then wanting to jump over instead of experiencing it and actually like understanding what this emotion is trying to tell you, it's trying to jump over and go into what feels okay or what feels good or what feels pleasurable. So expediency is essentially building a bridge between a bad feeling and a good feeling without actually understanding and experiencing what signal or what meaning that that feeling has for you. So it's just a pursuit of gratification. And the bridge of expediency can be built with anything. It can be built with food, drugs, sex, alcohol. It can also be built with other emotions, which is a really interesting way that expediency can operate as a way of being. So what I mean is this. Sometimes there are people who feel fear or they feel sadness and instead of allowing themselves to experience that emotion what they do is they get angry to feel back in control and to not feel that fear not feel that sadness and then jump over that fear or sadness into feeling like they're in control into feeling like people are paying attention to them so expediency the bridge of expediency can built be built with literally anything including other emotions but it's the way that we bypass our emotions if we live a life of expediency then we are never actually putting the time in to channel our emotions and to create something constructive, whereas discipline allows us to do just that. The last, or the fourth pair bond, it's no longer the last one, but the fourth pair bond is sincerity versus performance. So sincerity versus performance is the one that plagued me most. Remember, a lot of my decisions, I was making them because I wanted to be something for the world. I wanted to show that I was successful rather than actually just expressing sincerely where I was at and that I just wanted to help and that I was very passionate about what I was doing, right? That would have been a much better way of expressing than trying to show the world that I was more ahead than I actually was. Right, So I was trying to perform to the world. So sincerity versus performance has everything to do with your expression of self. Sincerity is to express what is present for you in the here and now and to be wholeheartedly yourself, to be unapologetically authentic and to express what is sincere. It is to essentially speak your truth or speak from your heart, you could say. Whereas performance is expressing in the way that you perceive others want to see you or the way that you perceive others that or the way that you perceive others will be appeased by your being. So there's this really interesting quote by Cooley, which is I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I'm who I think you think I am. So what this is essentially is trying to be a perception of a perception which is not going to allow you to be present. It's not going to allow you to be yourself at all. So this is essentially what performance is. And when we're performing, we're wanting someone else to view us in a specific way. And the interesting thing about performance is sometimes, even if we don't have an audience to perform to, we'll perform to our own ego. We'll try to be something that we think we need to be in this world, even if there's no one around watching. So we start to engage in activities that we actually don't like, but that we think we should like or that we should be interested in. So Sincerity versus performance, this is, I mean, all the intentions and delusions affect people differently based on their personalities. Um, and what's really interesting is if you've ever taken the DISC personality assessment, the intentions and delusions actually map perfectly. So if I look at somebody's DISC, and this, this could totally be for another episode, but if I look at somebody's DISC, I can actually predict which delusions uh, plague them most and which intentions will light them up and allow them to show up at their best just by looking at somebody's disc profile. So if you have a disc profile, you want me to like take a look at it, or if you want me to make the episode, uh, definitely leave in the comments um, on 
wherever you're watching this or send me a DM on Instagram at victor.zenstoic and I will do another episode where I talk about how DISC correlates with the intention and delusion if you're familiar with that personality assessment. But anyway, going back to it, these intentions and delusions, they affect people differently. So performance or sincerity and performance affected me the most. I go into sincerity of expression, the better my life becomes. The more I start to experience um, things that I, I, I describe as blessings I didn't even know how to ask for. Essentially, when you're performing... Right When you're in this state of performance, one of the reasons that this plagued me most is because I wanted to be accepted by people. So this looks like people-pleasing. This looks like um, just insincere, like obviously insincerity, but this looks like people-pleasing. This looks like saying yes on the outside when you're saying no on the inside. So ultimately, I was essentially trying to be all things to all people. And I couldn't hear myself think anymore. I was trying to be everything to everyone. And so when I started to become sincere and act through sincerity, my life transformed completely. Like I started pursuing things that were truly worthwhile to me. I started doing things that I actually wanted to do and I was happier overall. And I was actually able to make friends that were true friends that loved me for me, not for the performance that I was putting on. So Sincerity and performance is one that is very near and dear to me because it was actually, I would say, the crux of most of my poor decision making was making them in a state of performance and expediency. If I'm if I'm going to be like totally clear on that, it's it was performance and expediency for me specifically. But everybody can have these intentions affect you differently. Um, and like I said, if you are curious which ones affect you or you you resonate with one of those descriptions, definitely leave it in the comments. I'd love to hear about your experience as well. So these are the first set, the four intentions and delusions set. Now the fifth intention and the fifth delusion is unity versus separation. So I realized in this original framework that this was actually left out. It could be assumed in each of them. However, I feel that this deserves its own intention and delusion set. And I cannot take credit for the discovery of this one. This one was actually discovered by one of my best friends, Gabe Hansel, who is also a coach who has been trained under Zen Stoic. And Gabe is an absolute genius with this stuff. And he brought this to my attention. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So I definitely want to give him a shout out, give him credit for the discovery of the fifth intention and delusion, which is unity versus separation. So the intention of unity is to realize that at the end of the day, we're all one. Now, we hear that all the time when people are trying to say something positive and uplifting. People will say like, we're all one, it's unity, everything like that. But it's really important to remember that there is a collective psyche that we all experience and we are all connected to. Carl Jung talked about this a lot in his work, but this whole idea of unity is that no matter how different we are individually speaking, we all share the same emotions. We share a lot of the same beliefs, the same stories. I mean, if you think about it, one of the beliefs that plagues people most, that's a limiting belief, is this belief of I'm not good enough. Right. If you're listening to this, you may have said this in your life or you may have heard people close to you say it in your life. It's not a unique belief. It's not a unique thought at all. You're definitely not the first one who's ever said it. You're not the last person who's going to say it. It's something that we all share. So we all share a lot of these limiting beliefs and limiting decisions that we feel lonely and separate in. And unity is essentially saying that even though we have different life paths and different expressions, we are all connected by the same emotions. 
we're connected by the same needs. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Zen Stoic human needs, I talk about it in the Integral Livelihood episode. You'll definitely want to check it out. Um, we'll link it here in the description. But the Integral Livelihood episode, we talk about the seven Zen Stoic human needs. So we all share these needs. We all share the same emotions. And what's really interesting is in some of the trainings that I do, I will give people uh, an exercise where they write down their career story or their money story or their love story of like what, you know, how that's affecting their life. And what's fascinating, no matter how successful the people are in the room, they all write a very similar story of what they've experienced in their life. Because no matter how different we appear, we all experience the same things. We all experience the same emotions, beliefs, stories in our lives. They just change form. So the intention of unity is to ultimately operate as in a way of being that you are seeking to create connection with other people, that you are seeking to find similarity, that you are seeking to find common ground with people and knowing that we are all connected in that way. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be friends with everybody, right? Your unique expression of being sincerely, if you're being sincere, doesn't always match up with people, but it's not to have ill will or malice towards other people. It's rather to have compassion, love, and empathy for people. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It's just to respect that everyone has their own model of the world and to respect that even though everybody may have a different or conflicting model of the world, we are all connected. The delusion of separation is to see ourselves as separate from other people, to see ourselves as competing with other people constantly and trying to get ahead of other people and to try to make ourselves superior or inferior, whatever the story is that we're trying to play out, right? Whether we're trying to play the victim and be different and separate from everybody and special, that's the delusion of separation. Or we're trying to be the expert. We're trying to know everything more than everybody, and we're trying to be better than people and, and express our superiority in conversation. That's also the delusion of separation. And ultimately, when you're in those situations, when you're caught between a rock and a hard place, or you're, you're playing multiple roles and you can't seem to you know, make a decision that's going to make everybody happy. It's because we're, we're asleep in the roles that we're playing. We think that the roles that we're playing are us. We think that, well, I'm the business owner, or I'm the boyfriend or the girlfriend, or I'm the friend, or I'm the husband, or I'm the wife. And we, we isolate ourselves in these roles and we compartmentalize our sense of being in the world. We compartmentalize our individual experience. And this is the whole pathology of the ego. This is what creates the inner conflict within us, is that we don't only create separation with other people, we create separation within ourselves. So the first step in actually expressing the intention of unity is to resolve inner conflict within. When we resolve our inner conflicts, when we integrate the parts of ourselves that we've disowned, the parts that we've shoved into the unconscious mind, that is when we are able to begin to create unity. And the more unity we create in ourselves, the more unity and resonance we're going to have with other people who have a similar resonance that we do, and the more we're going to be able to, again, experience that connection of all beings, to experience, to actually viscerally experience that idea that we are all one, not just mentally accepted. So those are the five intentions and delusions. We have embrace and resistance. We have understanding and control discipline and expediency, sincerity and performance, and unity and separation. These intentions and delusions have completely changed my life and the way that I operate and have changed the lives of my clients because they, you always know when you're in delusion and when you're in intention when you learn how to actually sense it. And so this is how you actually do it and how you practice it. So if you want to know what it feels like 
to be in intention. All you do is take a moment, close your eyes, sit down. Don't do this if you're driving. (laughs) Wait till you get somewhere where you're not driving and you're not distracted, but you can go ahead and do this now. But if you sit down, close your eyes, and just ask your unconscious mind the feeling of what it is to be totally intentional. Ask it for the feeling of what it is to be totally intentional and just pay attention to the sensations in your body. Pay attention to your posture, to your breathing, to the physical sensations you might have when you are totally, totally intentional. And then when you clear that away, go ahead and clear the screen. And now ask yourself, what does it feel like to be in delusion? Ask your unconscious mind, what does it feel like to be in a state of delusion? And then ask your body to give you that signal. And just pay attention. What are the feelings you have? What are the sensations? How does your breathing change? How does your posture change? How does the tightness in your muscles change? These sensations will be your guide. So you can always know because your emotions, your physiology is the compass that will tell you whether you are being intentional and you're being here and now in the present moment or you're being delusional. For myself, what's really interesting is when I do this, I notice an expansiveness in my chest and my posture when I'm being intentional. And I notice that my body curls in when I'm being delusional. And these are very clear signals that the more I practice them and the more I meditate on them, the easier it is to know when I'm in one of these states. Because when we can begin to sense it and we can begin to course correct our our actions and our expressions, that is what truly helps. The thing is, most of the time, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this last little metaphor here, But most of the time, what's happening is one of the reasons that we feel we can't be intentional, we can't start to be intentional, is because we've been delusional for so long. Maybe we've operated in that expediency or that control, and we think that that's who we are. But you can think of yourself like a ship moving through the sea. This is a beautiful example given by Alan Watts. So you're a ship, you're moving through the sea, and that ship leaves behind a wake. The wake is your past. It it shows the continuity of your story, right? It shows it in a linear fashion. You can see that wake of all of your past. But the wake of the ship doesn't say where the ship is going. It just says where the ship has been. But it has no power over where the ship is going to go or which direction it's going to decide to turn in. So if you've been operating in delusion, you decide to operate in intention and change the direction of that ship, start going a different way, you'll start leaving a different wake. Now, at first, it might feel unfamiliar and uncomfortable because now you have two wakes going in different directions, but eventually the new wake will overtake the old wake and the old wake will fade away with time. So at any moment, you are the convergence point. You can choose to live a life of intentionality. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you're new to Zen Stoic philosophy and you want to learn more, feel free to go check out some of our other episodes. And if this episode made a positive impact on you, please let me know your feedback. I would love to know what your thoughts are. Please go ahead and leave us a review. Reviews are how this podcast gets shared and gets spread through the world. So please leave a review so that someone else may be inspired by your words. And if you're on this journey of personal development and you're looking to improve, I'm sure you've heard the phrase that all you have is within you now or that you have everything that you need, some variation of that. Now, the thing is, most of us hear that and we can accept it mentally. But the question is, do you actually know that in every fiber of your being? 
If not, I would love to give you an experience. It's a free experience. It's called the Sovereign Dream Meditation. And it is an experience that I've created that by the time you're done, you will know in every cell of your being that you have everything you need within you and your unconscious mind will give you the roadmap of exactly what you need to do to create the life that you desire now. So go ahead and send me a DM at victor.zenstoic on Instagram with the word dream and I will send you the Sovereign Dream Meditation. This is an experience that whether or not you ever give me your credit card or pay for one of my services, this is an experience that will absolutely change your life and it comes at no cost to you. Just go ahead, enjoy it, and I would love to hear your thoughts.